Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the final post-game show of the 22-23 season. And my God, what a season it has been. No record club points in the end. I think we should all just delete Old Trafford from our memories this season. But Fulham have secured a top half finish. 10th, earning 52 points in the process. And it never really looked in doubt either, with us being top 10 for the majority. And importantly, above Chelsea for the first time in 40 years. Most Premier League wins in a season, most Premier League away wins in a season, most goals in the top flight since 1967-1968, which was before even Drew and Farrell were born. 18 points clear of the drop and that yo-yo status, well and truly a thing of the past. Let's just... Let's just basking it for a minute, shall we? On today's show, we'll be looking back over the 2-1 defeat at our bogey ground, should we say, Old Trafford. We'll answer a few of your questions, look ahead to next season and just generally bask in the glory of what we've achieved this season. Joining me today is friend of the pod and now contributor of the pod, Elizabeth Barnard. How are you doing? I'm really good. How's everyone else? All good? Yeah, we're good. I believe you got back in there quite late from Manchester yesterday. Yeah, quite quite. Quite a long coach and quite a bleak hour in Birmingham Coach Station in between <laughs> connections. And about what time was it? So it was about, I got in at 2.15, back to Oxford Coach Station and home at 3. Yikes. Well, that is a decent shift. Decent shift indeed. Uh, I'm also joined by Dan Cook. You right? Good. Thanks, Coops. How you doing? I am fantastic. And Harry Durham. Birthday boy, Harry Durham, I should say. 27 candles. I'm in the 27 club now. Hopefully I'll make it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you I'm sure you will. Uh, many happy returns. Uh, um, before we get into Fulham's match, uh, it is confirmed Leicester and Leeds are the team that will be joining Southampton. Being relegated, um, I've had quite a fun time looking back on my sort of like group chats on people's predictions for the year at the start back in August. And I'd say about 99% of them had Fulham, Forest or Bournemouth to go down. And look at us now, eh? It's not us. Um, whilst I don't take any sort of pleasure in seeing any of those teams go down, it feels pretty good in not being us, right, Elizabeth? Yeah, it feels really good. I went back on some old tweets that um, I had bookmarked, gave them a little like, <laughs> you know. Always, always good to, you know, remind people that they were wrong. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Dan, any any sort of surprises there? Were you following the uh, the multi-screen? I was following the multi-screen. I was loving it. It was weird. I woke up in the morning and genuinely I, I had a like a introspective moment where I was like, it's weird, like not caring. Like I was just really excited to watch Everton against Bournemouth. And I just had a moment when I thought like, imagine waking up as an Everton fan this morning, like the difference <laughs> and where we just, we, we woke up and we were like, right, last day of the season, let's have a bit of fun. And I, it looked like, I don't know, I wasn't there, but Elizabeth, it looked quite fun in that away end. Yeah. Great time. Mm. Were you working at uh, TalkSport yesterday, Harry? Was it, was it, or did you have a day off? I was, I went out on Saturday night and I can tell you from nine o'clock until I woke up to 4.30, I was severely hungover. 
Um, so I was kind of like watching every single game with like my eyes half open, but the Fulham game was on my laptop. Liverpool, uh, Leeds versus Spurs was on like my big telly. And it finished the way I, I expected it to. I thought the position to where everyone was, that was how it was going to end. And I'm sorry, I'm glad that Leeds and uh, Leicester have gone down. Oh, well, all I'm, I'm just relieved it's not us. And I mean, it's the most, there's not really any side apart from, you know, our rivals like that I would, I take because we've been there so often. It's not, it's not a nice feeling. But no, I'm, I, I am, I am. There's no shouting for it there. But I am just relieved it's not us. I do think the the other thing, Coops, is that like none of those three teams can complain. Like, yeah, the the teams who went down this season deserve to go down. And actually, two or three of the teams who stayed up did not deserve to stay up. So they they should count themselves lucky. But Leicester, Leeds, and and Southampton have got no one else to blame. Yeah, my I was chatting to a Leeds friend of mine, and I was like, ah. Oh. Sorry about that, mate. And he was, uh, he said, <laughs> he said, last time we went down, it was gutting because you had a team that were fighting to the death. He goes, this time we're going down. I'm genuinely, genuinely relieved because it's just an opportunity to get rid of a lot of dead wood that just aren't fit to wear the shirt. So but anyway, less about that. Let's get into Sunday's game in Manchester. Dan, I believe you've got some three word reviews for us, please. I do indeed. So uh, I think we'll start off with the, the two obvious pain points. So we'll go with Londinium calling with Fulham's Manchester Metro glitch, which I quite liked. And the Low Country Badger gave us Metro's Trafford troubles. It is not a happy hunting ground for our Serb, nor us. Um, and then we had Josh Whitcomb, and I thought this was brilliant, and you've got to do it in some form of accent, but no mo yo-yo. I think is is a fantastic three word review and slightly stretching sort of the three words in there partially, and then we'll we'll wrap up with two lovely ones, one from Ash Walford with what a season and pod favorite Richard Solbamba with season of dreams. Lovely stuff. I really like the idea of uh, calling Old Trafford our bogey ground. Yeah. <laughs> As if every other club just wins there. Like, yeah. <laughs> so if our old Trafford's really our bogey ground, you know, it's, uh, it's a curse on that place. Um, yeah, just just like I was going through. So against the sort of traditional kind of um, top six, shall we say, even like teams in the top half, the only time that we've been beaten by more than one goal this season is Arsenal at home when we lost 3-0 and Newcastle at home. Every single time we've played a team of that kind of status, it, there's been one goal in it. I mean, when was the last time Fulham could say something like that? That's that's pretty special, I think. But yeah, just the one change for Marcus Silva going into the match, and that was Lukic in for Reed. Um, Harry, we've been kind of expecting maybe Lukic to get a bit, bit a few more minutes under the belt, but um, I feel like ultimately um, it showed what we were missing yesterday a little bit. Yeah, I just thought we were quite exposed probably in the middle. If you look at both of Manchester United's goals, both coming from Fred being most importantly like the architect of uh, Manchester United yesterday. And I feel like we needed sort of like a Harrison Reed there, also like clipping at his heels, almost clipping at his shins. So then Joao Polina can uh, do all the picking up off the back of that. But I mean, Listen, it's last game of the season. We knew where we were finishing. We couldn't finish above 10th. We couldn't get into Europe or whatever. I'm just glad that we didn't get flipped 5-0. But Lukic looks like a safe pair of hands. And Reed's been a phenomenal servant to us all season. So, yeah, I'm happy with rotation. But 
I just hope Harrison Reed's fit for the majority of next season. And we keep hold of Joel Polina. That's the most important thing. That's why we're all so worried. We're all going to be worried in the summer. Yeah. I mean, Fulham looked really up for it, I thought, especially first half. Yeah. Elizabeth, do you think there was a um, a sense of us wanting to avenge that um, that horrible FA Cup defeat? Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, we were really up for it, really going into things. Um, there was a lot of energy. Um, and even though, like, Manchester United, I think, carved out more clear-cut chances during the first half, we were definitely, like, looking to play on the front foot. And whenever we got the ball back, it was really exciting. Um, so, yeah, definitely a memory of what had happened before, I think. Mm. I mean, we didn't have to wait long before... Who else but Kenny Tete opened the scoring? <laughs> I mean, who'd have thought it? Great balling from William uh, from a corner on the left-hand side. Tete has it in for his first goal of the season. Dan, it felt like a, almost like a training ground move, right? Yeah, it felt weirdly easy, Coops. It was, it was, you know, it's a good ball in, but just Kenny Tete standing just in front of the front post, unmarked, bops it in. Obviously, it's good from Joao Polina. He, he keeps, I think it's Malassia under lock and key doesn't let him jump and clear it as the first man but yeah training our move I thought Kenny Tete did a nice little um, post-match press conference with the uh, little interview with the Fulham uh, TV team and he said that apparently Harry Walsing came up to him and asked him who he was blocking and Kenny Tete went no no I'm not blocking I'm going to score this one and he, <laughs> and he did so, so fair play to Kenny I think that, that's that's class if, if he could do that more often from corners if he could just decide that he was going to score we might have <laughs> might have got Europe <laughs> that's the most Kenny Tete thing ever what a legend that guy is I mean oh, like, I, I thought him. I thought he was for me man of the match performance yesterday Garnacho had a lot of trouble passing that Dutchie on the right hand side I mean it was hey. just <laughs> this is such an end of season pod <laughs> I mean Harry like what better I, I feel like he as a player just embodies Fulham's rise and rise and rise I mean the, the fact that he had trouble gaining a starting place last year you know you had uh, a doy and um, you know just people keeping out the team but I mean he's just Proves himself as one of the best one-on-one right-backs in the league. 100%. And I said it yesterday in a video as well, and I've been saying it for weeks on end now. And I was down the pub with Sammy a couple of weeks ago as well. And I was like, no matter how good Bernd Leno is and how good Joel Polina are, Kenny Tete, and I'm going to ask you three a question. I cannot, I cannot put a game into my head in the Premier League this season where Kenny Tete hasn't, performed up to a high standard consistently. Every single game, I would say he's our best player, unless Mitrovic magically scores a hat-trick or something like that. Going forwards, I think he's strong. 1v1, some people have some criticisms of him there, but I think he's still strong. He's probably one of the most well-rounded right-backs in the league. And I mentioned Joel Polina a couple of minutes ago. I'm worried that a top-six club it's going to come calling for Tete in the summer because a lot of people, I put it in the same bracket as Palace, Fulham and stuff like that. People who are top six fans don't watch Fulham a lot. If Fulham are playing on, I don't know, Sunday afternoon footy or whatever, Super Sunday, whatever they call it, um, people be like, I don't want to watch Fulham versus Bournemouth. But then you get the, the person that comes through and goes, you know, that, that Kenny Tete's all right, isn't he? And it's just like, then people are finally realising, he's going to probably be at Spurs like next season. He deserves 
everything after this tremendous season because he's just been unstoppable, in my mm. opinion. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the, I'd say, I mean, people moan about the lack of kind of media coverage that Fulham get and we just sort of tend to go under the radar. But if it means that we can keep players of the calibre of, mm. I mean, Pally, you know, obviously getting a lot of clubs sniffing around for him, but Tete, then, I mean, um, I, I would take that person. That's, that's why I worry when they actually play so well. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I love you so much, but when like Joao Polina is crunching people and people are making montages on Twitter and it's getting like <laughs> 1.5 million views and then people at Liverpool are like, oh, we needed a centre mid so badly. I'm like, it's just not fair, really. I hate social media. <laughs> I think the um, what you were saying about Tete against Garnacho yesterday as well, on the commentary uh, when I was watching, I think they about half an hour in and the, the co-commentator said, oh, this is a, a really good battle, this Garnacho against Tete. And I thought, actually, no, it's not because <laughs> Garnacho just keeps on trying to get past him and he can't. Any, not once did he beat Kenny Tete. I think there was once when Kenny just crunched him and fair enough, I'd, I would severely like to crunch Ganacho as well but it was it wasn't it wasn't a, a contest like Kenny Tete had him completely all game while Ganacho was on the pitch and he's done that so many times to so many wingers this season it's just it's it's incredible and yeah I think the worry for me with with Kenny Tete like Joao Polina is that not only are they like passing the eye test they also pass the the numbers test. So you see quite a lot of stuff coming out about the number of tackles Raupolinia makes. You see a lot of stuff coming out about the success rate of Kenny Tete's tackling. Those are things that that come up in scouting reports. Whereas I think players like Harrison Reed slip under the radar a little bit more because there's not massively something that stands out in their numbers. But when you watch them, you're like, oh, this is a really useful player. Whereas Raupolinia and Kenny Tete also are backed up by the numbers. It's, it's, it is worrying that they are going to catch people's eyes. Yeah, it's going to be an intriguing summer that I think, well, I mean, normally I, I, my general rule on transfers is that unless it's announced on the Fulham website, I don't tend to pay too much attention to it. But I think this year everyone's going to be refreshing their feeds, thinking what's going on, tell us, keep us informed. But yeah, uh, it wasn't that long after the goal that Fulham were awarded a penalty. There's some brilliant movement from Wilson on the break. Twinkle toes from Kearney um, and a penalty. Casemiro is the one who tripped him over. I mean, great little shift of, um, you know, body position from Kearney. Really nice bit of skill there. And then who else but our man, Alexander Mitrovic, steps up to take the penalty. So he's taken eight, four conversions, four misses. And he earns uh, Fulham another record this year, perhaps one that we were not wanting. I don't think, well, I know no other Premier League player has missed as many penalties in a season. Elizabeth, I mean, Mark Hopping asked, is it time for Marco to say enough is enough and take Mitra off penalties for good? I mean, we all love him. That goes without saying. He's our talisman. He's a legend, commissioned the statue, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, penalties are just not a strong point. No, it was really sickening yesterday. The same thing happened at Wolves when he missed and Jose Sarr scored and the whole of the crowd goes wild. And obviously, David De Gea hadn't saved a penalty since, like, you know, six years ago or whatever it was, like something insane. Probably not that long, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like the thing with taking Mitrovic off penalties is because he's such a confidence player and because he, like, it's so important to him, obviously, that he's the talisman of the team. If we take him off, that's a huge blow to his confidence. And I worry that that will affect his play overall. And I don't know. If we'd scored those eight penalties, I don't know whether we, where we'd be this season. Maybe I'll sort of figure that out in the next few minutes. But I just 
think he, like he's not good enough, but I don't think there's really the option to take him off at this point. Harry, do you agree? I know we've spoken about it before. After yeah. every penalty, I think we seem to have the same discussion. I totally get your point, Elizabeth. That it is the confidence thing, and you need to have your trust in your front man to convert the penalty. So I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. Also, it sort of does beg the question: Who would you put instead of Mitrovic to take the penalties? That's what I was. I was just looking on transfer market whilst we we're talking about the whole thing and seeing who the last person to take a penalty for Fulham was, and it was Andreas Pereira in like November. And even before that, apart from a penalty shootout against Leeds in 2021, we haven't had a, a single penalty taker, which almost feels like for the last three years that it isn't Alexander Mitrovic. Listen, I understand he's a striker. His head might go a little bit if he, the trust's taken away from him to score from the spot. But I think I look around this team, especially our starting eleven. We have players that are surely capable of putting the ball in the back of a net. Willian has been a dead ball specialist for so long. Why couldn't he? I can't listen. I can't remember him really taking any penalties from a spot for Chelsea because you probably had a number of. What, who was Chelsea strikers like back then? Probably like Diego Costa is probably a penalty taken like back then. Kenny, I think, could do like an easy job as well. But I think anyone, if you're a professional footballer, should be able to should be able to hit the target one way or another. But I've it's the summer. It's, listen, it's the summer now. Get him to focus on it heavily. He's got a good goalkeeper in Burnt Leonard that contested between the sticks. Get his confidence back up. Getting a few penalty shootouts during preseason. I'm sure he'll come back firing. It's just the, the guy's cursed at Old Trafford, and that's it. Like it's 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 a nightmare in that in that stadium for him, especially after the quarterfinal. But I'm sure we've got some players down there in the ranks that can put a penalty away if he's if he's not willing to step up to the plate. Stat for you, Coops. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willian has scored a hundred percent of his penalties taken in the Premier League. Wow! Ooh. Five from five. Um, he scored four in one season and then one I think the season before the one that I am confident I like I had a moment yesterday where I was like I just definitely feel like he'd be great on pens Israel Polina I just feel like that man would just caress the ball into the top corner like, he, I, like I just I have full confidence that he would step up like suavely just distribute it into the top corner and sort of stroll off as if like yeah this is just what I do but I think William, William, it, like in serious, as William is probably and, and Pereira are probably the two best options. They're two technically gifted players who are good from dead ball situations with experience behind them. I suspect, especially William, he seems like a very composed character. He's seen it all. You know, he's played in Champions League finals. I, I would back him to step up in the, in the Premier League from the penalty spot. Yeah, I guess we'll see next season what Marco decides to do. Um, speaking of Paulinho, he um, achieved another record for Fulham yesterday. He equaled the most amount of yellow cards in a Premier League season on 14. I mean, sort of makes you feel weirdly proud, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a, what a player, what a guy. Um, but yeah. Fair play to the lads. I mean, after the penalty, um, it did lift United somewhat. Um, Garnacho had a really good um, chance that he put wide and then he hit the crossbar after Robson's slip. Um, Elizabeth, you got something to say? Yeah, I was just, just wanted to jump back in on the penalty thing. Sorry. Um, yeah, of to say that it's 
cost us five points this season. So it could be it could be worse, but like really also it could be better. And this is obviously assuming that you know, game state plays a massive factor in these things, et cetera, et cetera. But we would have won at Wolves, drawn at Newcastle and United. Yeah. I mean, we are seven points, I believe, behind Brentford yeah, and Brentford, So yeah. I, it wouldn't have had a... Well, I mean, it's, these are all hypotheticals, obviously, but I mean, there's quite a lot of points. I mean, if you're at the bottom of the table, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? But thankfully we're not. We're comfortably in mid-table. So uh, all's, all's good. I mean, the penalty did lift United. They had an immediate response. Had a real sort of strong um, spell of possession. Garnacho hit the crossbar and put it wide. I mean, it did ultimately lead to a goal for United. Um, Bruno Fernandes spinning past um, Lukic, Fred bursting into the box and then eventually Sancho tapping in. I, f- I thought that it wasn't great defending Dan. Um, I thought Robinson was kind of caught napping, allowed Sancho to get goal side of him. Um Fairly avoidable goal, it felt like. Yeah, it's definitely avoidable. I think it even starts in the when we give the ball away. I think Draplini does really well, and then he sort of plays a nothing ball down the line, and suddenly United have possession and can move quickly. But also the the problem there is that Draplini is then stuck out wide, which means that that first pass from United goes straight through the middle of our midfield with no defensive protection there and then yeah it's, it's scrappy I think we're a little bit unlucky like the way it ricochets across the face of goal yeah. and it ends up at Sancho but I think at times that that sort of is our defence like especially it seems to be with Tos, Tosin and Diop sometimes it does we seem to concede scrappy goals like that where it's just a bit too chaotic there's not enough control and composure in there and and yeah it, it's probably not great from, from Anthony Robinson at the back post he has been guilty a few times this season of just switching off and you'll have a man come around the back of him or in front of him and, and stick it away. So I think it's an area that Ant has to work on is is just tracking those runners a bit better. But I think largely when it went in, I felt it felt unfortunate and probably, you know, if you just takes a slightly different ricochet, we get away with it. But yeah, we, we probably should do better. Yeah. I mean, it kind of did feel like it had been coming. I mean, after the break, uh, Matt Rashford missed a huge chance. There was a bit of a toasting, uh, Diop mix up, and the ball sort of bounced between them. Um, and he went on through, just ended up putting it wide. And then the goal to put United in front, I mean, it was a really good ball through from Fred, I thought. Cool finish from Bruno Fernandes. Um, which was followed up with one of the worst knee slides I've seen in, in quite some time. <laughs> um, but I mean, that that ball was was pretty sumptuous, wasn't it, Harry? That's like I said, Fred probably had one of his best ever games in a Manchester United shirt. Like I rate the guy personally. And when you play for a team like Manchester United, you're always going to get scrutinised and have the focus like solely on you. But like we mentioned earlier, I think Man United's game was predominantly won in the midfield yesterday. So fair play to Fred. Lovely little dink from Fernandez. There's nothing that Leno could have done. But yeah, I mean, I hope that conversation, I'm sure we'll get onto it later on between Marco Silva and Fred, is a positive one and isn't just a friendly catch-up, Coops. Yeah, let's come on to that because we had a few questions um, that we were going to say for the second half, but seeing as we're talking about it, we may as well bring it up now. So FFC for life said, please can you discuss the whole Marco talking to Fred situation and how likely it is for Fred to join us. Also, Thomas Ryland Jenkins followed up with, are we signing Fred? So for those of you that didn't see... 
Marco Silva got off the team bus as the coach was leaving the game yesterday to catch, have a little um, chinwag with with Fred in uh, in his native Portuguese, and they were talking quite intently for uh, for quite some time. Now Fred is out of contract at the end of next year, I believe, and a lot of there's been a lot of speculation about his future. I was reading some comments that Manchester United fans seem to be quite happy at the concept of uh, offloading Fred. I mean, Elizabeth, do you think there's anything in this? What, 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 was your, what was your take? I'm just like obsessed with how, you know, obsessed we all get about this. I, I, I don't know how much we can read into one long conversation. Um, I, I would love it to be true. Um, but I do find the sort of like Twitter, you know, Twitter theories all a bit much sometimes. As Dom says, everyone's getting way too Cluedo about it all. Um, <laughs> but Dan, do you think there's any any sort of credence in these rumours or is it just one of those Twitter was, storms that you see? It's a bit weird though, isn't it? Because like, I, 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 I genuinely then had, went and had a look because I was like, the, the most logical explanation usually in these situations is that at some point or other, two people have been at the same club and got on with each other. But the, these two, their paths have never crossed as far as I could see in football. And so to get off the bus and speak to him is, is, is odd. And, and I think probably there might be something non-football related in there, potentially, I don't know. But I think it would be a good signing. I'd, I'd happily take it. And I think he is part of this, this churn that United are going to go through under Ten Hag. You know, if you look at Fred this season, he's 35 appearances, but only 12 starts. Screams a player who's just going to be gradually phased out of this team through this sort of revival under Ten Hag. And so I think Fred embodies what United were for the, and have been for probably the first five or six seasons. And now you've got that new wave coming through. But I think he fits in that Harrison Reed role really quite nicely in this Fulham team. I think it's everyone's struggled with Fred at times to work out quite exactly what he is as a player. I think he's been deployed as a six and he's not really a six. He's, he doesn't have that, although that pass was brilliant, and he's not a pure playmaker. And then he's not a 10. And I think, so I think he is, he is naturally a box-to-box midfielder and I think he fits that Harrison Reed role quite well. And if there's a, a deal to be done there, I think Fred is, is, would be available for a, for a decent price. And especially when you compare it to what United originally paid for him, which I think from memory was somewhere in the region of 50 million pounds. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it could be a deal on there and it would be, be interesting to see and obviously fits in with the whole Portuguese speaking theme, which, you know, we're enjoying. And also the uh, Copacabana care home that was washed <laughs> upon briefly. Oh. Yeah. So, I'm liking it. Good vibes all around. Yeah, great vibes. Um, I mean, yeah, we've got the history of rejuvenating uh, slightly aged Brazilians. So, you know, he's 30, so he's not he's not quite as old as um, William, who, how was William? 34? He's like 34, yeah. 34, so... You know, there's a. Uh, I think there's years in him left. It'd be a very exciting signing. I like. I remember. Do you remember a time where, in the Premier League, if you had a one Brazilian player, it was seen as really exotic and like, ooh, like it was. It was generally just something that was reserved for the Uniteds of the world. And now we've got like <laughs> we've got tons of them. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we had a few chances. Uh, the most notable one I thought was the one that Kenny just put wide. It was a really, really good move. Solomon picked it up. Pass it to Tete, great ball in, Mitra headed down, 
Kearney timed his run perfectly and just put it just put it wide. Um, Solomon, I thought, did make an impact when he came on. Have you seen the rumours that are linking him to Spurs? I mean, it would kind of make sense, I guess, and they could explain why we haven't really seen much of him in the kind of dying stage of the season, Harry. Do you think there's there's something in that rumour? Well, of course, because Spurs are pretty much on the same level as us, George. I don't, I don't, they're not a top six club. Like they're in the infrastructure of the club is in utter turmoil at the moment. And hopefully Harry Kane played his last game for the club yesterday. Um, so I can believe the rumors that Manuel Solomon, who is a Fulham and Tottenham standard winger, is or it could potentially be on its way to Tottenham because if Youngman, Son, and Harry Kane both have to leave, Solomon is probably the ideal replacement for Son and Lucas Moura as well, who looked like he played his last game yesterday for Spurs. But uh, am I frustrated that Solomon could be going there? Probably not because I know he's come off the bench quite a lot in the back end of this season. But he hasn't really taken the game by the scruff of its neck like he was against Forest, against Wolves when he was first like coming on off the back of the World Cup. And it's the old adage of don't fall in love with a lone player, which I think, I don't know about you three, but I can probably guess that you're in the same boat as me. I fell in love with the guy when he scored like three and five or whatever it was. And then it just naturally petered out off the back of that. But listen... Fun whilst it lasted. Got a lot of fanfare over last summer. I think we, I think we all just bit off a bit more than we could chew, to be honest with you. But I don't think that we're going to be signing him, especially with the old man, the Willian, <laughs> keeping him out of the start in eleven as well. Yeah, let's um, let's bring on the Copacabana care home. I really, really like that. I, I'd rather. I think I'd rather see. William, but I mean, I guess we'll have to just wait and see how this one uh, pans out. Uh, just a few final points in the United game. Um, I mean, Weghorst missed a big chance late on. I mean, he's really bad, isn't he? Every time I see him play, I'm like, how is this guy up front from Man U? Am I the only one thinking this, Elizabeth? No, um, I, was terrible. I was stood with my friend who's a United fan. And when he came on, she groaned. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I was like, fair enough. I do think it was very charming in the Carabao Cup final how he was so pleased, even though he had so little part in it. Um, but aside from that, like, what the hell were they doing signing him? Like, not, not to be like, you know, sound like Richard Keyes, but like, it's Manchester United. Like, you know? yeah, very funny. But they, they have, they have, United have had quite a fun thing over the past few years of just sort of plugging gaps up top because they they keep refusing to sign a proper centre forward. Like if you go back, I, I saw a thing yesterday that triggered a memory of Odia Nagalo at United, yeah. I mean, like, and that, and then you had like the Falcao loan, and there's just just so many times that United have, have brought in a striker just to to be there as opposed to actually signing a proper one, and I unfortunately they will probably sort their their business out this summer and actually buy a centre forward, which is going to make them very dangerous. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's not massively. Th- yeah, Harry Kane versus Voot Veghorst is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Anyway, I mean, it was ultimately a rather unremarkable game to finish what has been a remarkable season. But Elizabeth, you were there yesterday. The travelling support sounded fantastic. It seemed like a real party atmosphere. 
Um, yeah. I imagine it was a lot of fun regardless of the result. Yeah, it was so much fun. I missed Sheffield United last season. Um, and it was very much what, like I imagine what that vibe would have been. It was really warm. Um, it was very, you know, and I think I think I got quite sunburned. Um, but it was so fun. Everyone was singing. Um, a lot of abuse to the United fans that were sat above us. Um, and they were obviously giving it back. Yeah, it was really, really good. And quite a deflated beach ball by the end. Yeah. <laughs> I heard um, Show got a, a chorus of boos when he got subbed off at the end. It's such a shame <laughs> our pantomime villain couldn't get his goal. Look, um, on the Metro substitution... Obviously, he starts that fight, or it looks like he's about to start a fight. And obviously, like, my heart's in my mouth. I'm thinking, I can't have this. Like, this, you know, not again. And then it felt like pretty much immediately the substitution board went up from Marco. And I was like, that is a man who is covering his bases. Like, <laughs> he sees something happen. He's like, no. So, yeah. That it's was pretty like, funny. There's one place that he goes to and just completely loses his head. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, it's got some old Trafford's got a sort of like spell over it. But <laughs> I, think, get- I think there is some, there's something in it probably, Coops, in fairness. I think there are a lot of teams and players who have felt it down the years of going to Old Trafford and just in general feeling wronged. And it's hard to get away from that sort of nature of things going against you at grounds like that. And I think that's probably one of the things that Mitro gets the most worked up about. Obviously his game wasn't, he was, he was fine, but obviously missing the penalties is going to hurt him a lot. But then he gets really amped up by refereeing decisions. And I think Old Trafford is one of those places where it sort of seems to be elevated more, where you feel like decisions go against you more. And I think that's probably where some of that frustration sits as well. It's just Old Trafford is one of those grounds. It's Manchester Manchester United we're talking about, Elizabeth. Yeah, I I (laughs) felt also, and obviously I'm biased, but I felt like every refereeing decision went against us yesterday. I was so annoyed by the end. I Um, mean, it's our our bogey ground. What what can we say? (laughs) Old Trafford's bogey ground anyway we'll leave it at that for uh, for the analysis of the match don't go anywhere though because in part two we'll be answering some of your questions hello it's sammy here now if you're looking for a vpn to watch football matches and tv shows which aren't available in your region or maybe you're looking to save money by purchase subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price then we've got an amazing deal with nordvpn where you can get a massively discounted rate plus four free months by heading to nordvpn.com slash fullamish now i genuinely use nordvpn loads uh, for instance back in october i was in america for the aston villa game which is on amazon prime now i have a subscription to amazon prime but obviously i was in the states so i simply logged on to NordVPN, switched my country back to the UK and I was able to watch the lads leave Steven Gerrard's managerial career in tatters. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month and you can use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months all for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You can find all the details at NordVPN vpn.com slash Fulhamish. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by Elizabeth Barnard, Dan Cook and Harry Durham. So we've got some of your questions here. Thank you for everyone who got in touch. First one is from Evan Lorendo, who asks, who would be one surprise player that we have seen the last of in a Fulham kit, i.e. not James, Duffy or even Jao? which is not inconceivable, close brackets. My off-the-wall guess would be Harrison Reeds. If we spent big on someone like SMS, 
So um, Savage and or Fred Harrison becomes a 12 plus million asset uh, that wants to play. I mean, Dan, what do you reckon of this one? I personally can't see Harrison Reed going anywhere. He's become part of the furniture for them, right? Yeah, no, I, I I don't see it at all. It would, it because if he's gonna if if there are real rumors in us sort of trying to bring in a an upgrade on him, which I I, I sort of get. Like I love Harrison Reed, but we can probably if if we want to kick on and we want to be the best we can be, adding more on ball quality into that role is probably a, a, an important step. But you'd have to do that with whilst also keeping the amount of energy and running that Harrison Reed has got. He will remain a, a key member of this squad, and the only way I could ever see him leaving would be if he was to get picked up. You know, if, if a top six club came knocking, which they won't, because I don't think he's the mold of player that they're looking for. And and then there's no reason for him to go and join one of the the other fourteen, as they call them. You know, the, the other teams in the Premier League because. He's loved here. He's been at the club for what I think four seasons now. This is he's been here. He's been instrumental in each of those seasons. Marco loves him and trusts him. I, I don't think we'll see Harrison Reed going anywhere. I think the one that when I looked at this, that I think probably we've seen the last of and we haven't seen in a while. I think Marek Rodak's probably done. I think Marek Rodak is, and and I I hope it, and this is this I mean this in a good way. I hope he does leave because at his age. As a keeper, I think now is the time for him to go out and, and be a first choice keeper somewhere. And if he has to drop into the championship to do that, do it because he is a, a good keeper. He was good for us, but he's never going to to get past get Leno in this this side. So he's got to move on for me and actually get himself some game time at his age because he could go on and do some good things and could become a Premier League footballer in the future. He's just not there yet. Yeah, Harry. I mean, I think this about Rodak he's a sort of because he is still so young he's the sort of goalie that I can imagine we let go and then all of a sudden he becomes like Aston Villa's sort of star keeper on a European run and we're like ah um I mean well then Rodak wins the World Cup off the back of that as well yeah something (laughs) like that but I would be sad to see him go but I would understand if he were to um and then it begs the question who's going to be our backup we'd have to get someone else in Marcus Bettinelli, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only man that's gone from Fulham to Chelsea back to Fulham ever. <laughs> but no, I um, I agree with Dan. He he does need to leave. To be honest with you, the guy has got a big career in front of him. He was so instrumental in our promotion season what last year as well. And it, it is just unfortunate because it's like. I mean, if if you guys or any of us in our daytime jobs just got replaced with someone after doing so well, we would be like, what the hell is going on? But the guy, he just has so much to give and it's just such a waste for someone like him, the class that he has. He's, he's, listen, he's not the best player with the ball at his feet and we know that football is transforming in such a way that goalkeepers are more like a sweeper almost. Even like a, you look at like what... Um, Allison, I mean, Edison's like at Manchester City. He's almost like a Tom Brady-esque sort of figure at the back. But yeah, he can definitely, he can definitely fit the mould at a Premier League club. Maybe like a lower half of the table, definitely like a top six, like you said. Maybe like a Villa, even though they finished, what, seventh this season. But he's, yeah, he's just too good to be sort of just like wasted on our books, to be honest with you. But a backup... I could I couldn't think of like a decent number two like off the top of my head like right now unless anyone can think of someone that we could sign. 
Haven't we got Gazaniga still? Is he on loan? Yeah. yeah. He's been like, doing really well as well, hasn't he? So, he's been, um... You know, maybe he's an option. I wanted to put a shout in for this, like, breaks my heart. Uh, but maybe for Cabano, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I like, actually can't bear it. I can't believe I brought this up. Um, I actually can't bear the thought that he won't play for Fulham again. But I don't know. Like, he's not really been in the plan since he's come back from injury. That Marco had so many opportunities to bring him on alongside Wilson and Mitrovic. And, like, goodness knows why he didn't. Um, and I'm just very worried. But, like, that would be absolutely devastating. You know. I, 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 I've been toying with this. So I, I saw this question ahead and I was like, I was having a think and I couldn't work out with Neathkins whether the fact that he's not been subbed on really recently since coming back from injury is a sign that he's not in Marco Silva's plans or is a sign that he is, he's just not fully fit. Because if he was leaving, then surely Marco would have given him his moment in front of the fans to sort of say goodbye in a proper way. So I can't work out whether it's like he's not in the plans or he is, he's just like making sure that he doesn't get an injury that puts him out during the off-season. But I don't want him to go. No, I don't think uh, anyone... That, it's not It's not a thought that bears thinking about, you know. That's just... That's just he'll, he'll be at Fulham forever. He'll get his coaching badges. He'll, he'll stay. He'll stay. That's not... That's not... That's not contemplate the world where Niskan's Cabana is not a Fulham player. He's clearly loved by the dressing room. And that is, like, really important, you know. So... Mm. <laughs> who who is the ultimate loved by the dressing room player that Fulham have ever had? You know, like the never played, but just everyone absolutely. It was just chief vibes, man, and just was sort of like just around. Um, I'm trying to two, think. Two years ago, it was Anthony Knockart because he was absolutely there purely for the vibes. <laughs> like, like I, I will I will never forget Anthony Knockart knee sliding in you know in front of us when we won the league and like holding up the trophy and you're like Tony you've not played <laughs> he was such an interesting character knockout wasn't he because he, he like clearly loved it at Fulham and, and like ne- like his effort was never ever questioned he always put in 110% but was so bad that like it was sort of he didn't really know where you stood with him but yeah, no, knockout is probably the most uh, most recent example. Right, let's move on to the next question. Uh, Elizabeth Barnard asks, which was hotter, Wolves in August or Man United today? I'm going to throw this one to you, Elizabeth Barnard. Which was hotter? <laughs> uh, it was Wolves, um, but I would say that Manchester United was incredibly uncomfortable. Was it? Yeah, and there was, like, I wasn't able to bring my water in. So I was just there thinking like I'm getting very dehydrated. Um, yeah, it was really warm, and the sun came over the top of Old Trafford and like beat down on the away end in the second half. Um, so yeah, pretty hot. Sounds great. I'm, so- I'm sorry, there is there is nothing ever topping that that day at Wolves. I mean, it was it, <laughs> yeah, was, it was ludicrous. Like <laughs> I have never been at a football game like that. It was like thirty degrees, yeah. and then they lobbed on the fire cannons in front of the away end. Mm. Like, that is the I was I was speaking about this. It will go down in Fulham folklore. That game that that game will never be forgotten. And it's so it was so hot that I think that is the key point of the game, not the penalty miss. Like whenever I think about Wolves away, I think about how warm I was as opposed to missing a penalty in like the eighty fifth minute. Yeah, the funny bit about the Wolves was that with the pyrotechnics at half time as well. It, it was, was like, it was literally <laughs> like, welcome to hell. Scorching <laughs> 32 it's degrees so and then fire pyrotechnics. It was like, whoa, this is this is a lot. 
It's like Dante's Inferno. Um, John Harkinsell asks, is everyone, is anyone else missing football already? I mean, it was after the final whistle, Harry. You just kind of think, oh, shit, that's, uh, that's it for a little while. I welcome it. I love oh, really? football. I, I love football, but as I do work in it and write about it every single day, I'm a bit kind of like, I've done a World Cup this year. I've done a whole season. I've had to write about Manchester City potentially winning the treble. I've had to cover Arsenal bottling it or bottling it at top of the table for 92% of the season. I love the summer to be honest with you not just because it's a break from football I'm obsessed with what kit we're going to have even though it's always released about a week before the season kicks off which really winds me up I love pre-season I love the drama I love the pictures of oh is that Manor Solomon in the uh, in the stands in Portugal and someone just zooms in on the most pixelated Sony Ericsson 2005 picture of all time and then people are like yeah it's definitely him isn't it it's like how do you even know that come on now <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm saying this now on the 29th of May. I'm sure I'll get two weeks down the line and I'll miss it massively. Um, but the the I always go to one pre-season game at Craven Cottage and I went to, what, Villarreal last year and it just sort of built up that momentum for me. We played Liverpool in the first game of the season and um, the cold turkey away from football as soon as that first that first pint and that first game kicks off. It's honestly like heaven. And I'm, I'm glad it's been taken away from me. Um, and it's been an incredible season, but I need that little break away just for a good couple of weeks. Mm. Absence makes the heart grow stronger as they say, you know, that's how it is. Uh, Pat Houlihan asks, who would be a priority signing from the three relegated teams in Coventry? I would enjoy Victor Jokerez as a backup for Mitrovic. Uh, Dan, have you got anyone from the, so Southampton, I know we've kind of uh, spoken about this um, sort of fleetingly over the past few weeks, but now it is confirmed. Leeds and um, Leicester and Coventry, who, who of those teams have you got your eye on? No, I, I think it's tricky because if you look at each of those teams, there are a couple that really stand out. I mean, you look at Leicester, there are, there's like a, an abundance of players in there who you're like, these are fantastic footballers that would be great, but we're never going to get Madison. We're never going to get Barnes. I would really like Dewsbury Hall. We're never going to get Dewsbury Hall. Like, there's a, a long list across those clubs. It's the same with Southampton. You look at Romeo Lavia, we're probably not going to be able to get him. He'll go somewhere else. Same with James Ward-Prowse. So I think, I looked through and the one thing that I've settled on that I think is realistic with potentially two, Gustavo Harmer from Coventry, I think is a realistic signing who would be great and, and has been very good for Coventry. And also he was like, he's been great for Coventry for two seasons, but he's always especially great against Fulham. So ideally for Fulham, he'd be even better. And secondly, one that I think is attainable and actually fits in in a nice way with a player that we could do with is potentially Che Adams. I think Che Adams would just offer us something different as a player who is a centre forward, who is quick, nimble, a bit more direct. Um, and it gives us just a different option and, and also has at times played out wide as sort of coming in off the left-hand side. So I think those are, are two players that not just I would like, but are probably attainable. Whereas there are quite a lot of players across these 
three relegated sides that I don't think we're going to get. And Jokeres, I think, is also someone that we're not going to get. I think he's off to potentially somewhere like West Ham. And I just don't think we'll pay enough money and offer enough wages to get him. Elizabeth, any anyone to add? Yeah, I was going to say like Jokeres or Harmer would be the two that I would be interested in. But like, I, I, the, obviously there are good players in Southampton, Leeds and Leicester's teams. But it's hard to, like, it's important to remember that they have played appallingly this season. And, like, a lot of them have had attitudes that I don't like. And, like, I know we talk about rehabilitation, but I don't want to see that at Fulham. Like, I don't want to see the kind of not trying very, well, I'm not saying they didn't try very, actually, no, I am saying they didn't try very hard often. Like, not trying very hard, not giving you all, like, not, you know, being a bit of a loser basically like I don't I don't want that like I'd much rather have some of Coventry's team who have done really well and like shown that they want things and like really gone out to win even if it's at a level below I get your point but I mean people said that about Mitro before we joined right that he had an attitude problem and um we I think Marcus Silva would have the ability to turn some of them around but I do totally get your point you want you want somebody who's going to fit in with this um, ethos that Marco's instilled in the team. Uh, Harry, anyone that you potentially got your eye on? To be honest with you, I probably wouldn't take anyone from Leeds or Leicester, uh, especially off the going towards like the climax of the season. It's just a team of individuals, and we saw, and I think you all agree with me, and a majority of people would. Leicester team on paper is a team that shouldn't be getting relegated. Yuri Tiedemans, and this is a message for Arsenal fans, if any Arsenal fans are for some reason listening to a Fulham podcast, they all have been linked to Yuri Tiedemans for so long. And he was like Casper the Ghost. He was just like, you, you could probably see Casper the Ghost more visibly than Yuri Tiedemans in the middle. And this guy's meant to be a well-beater, for God's sake. I've just seen a notification as well that Leeds are preparing for the departure of Jack Harrison. I mean, I, I could see Jack Harrison probably going to like a Villa or West Ham. I, I did think a couple of years ago he did like a like a bright play, obviously coming back off loan for like Manchester City. And he, there was talk of him getting in the in the England setup. Maybe could be like a good appointment for us. He seems like a all right, decent playmaker from it. But still, the, 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 these players are going to be tired of the brush that they just they just bottled it really and. I don't want players like that putting on the Fulham ship because we don't know where we could be at this time next year. We could be recording this and we've already been relegated. We don't know. But I want players that are actually going to dig in and battle for the team, not like the selfish individuals at Leeds and Leicester. The, the, the one player that I think I would take from Leeds because I think he's got a high ceiling and he's great vibes. Um, but I think he'll probably stick around in the championship and start for them which inexplicably he hasn't been starting for them in this relegation run-in is, is Willie Nonto. I think Willie Nonto is a very good uh, footballer with with a, a, a long way to go in his career. Um, and imagine, we could have the two Willies like, on, either, on either wing as well. That'd be so fun. But I, I would take I would take Willie Nonto because I, he, I, I think likely is that we will see this as his opportunity to be a star in a, in a Leeds team trying to get back up. And he could he would probably do good things in the championship next season, and and that would probably be his time to move. After that, he probably wouldn't choose to move now, having not played a huge amount in this run in. Hmm. I think we've um, spoken at length about speculative uh, transfers may or may not be coming in over the summer. So I'm just want to before we wrap up ask what are your predictions for next year? 
How do you think Fulham are going to do? Do you think there's any chance that we could top this year? Because it's always notoriously difficult, you know, second season in the Premier League. And I think it's widely, universally accepted that we're going to need to invest big this summer if we want to even have a, be in with a sniff of uh, replicating these heights. I mean, Dan, if you had to put your uh, crystal ball on the table, how, how can you see next next year panning out? I don't think it will be as good as this year. Personally, it depends. Obviously, it depends on what we do, and obviously, Joao Polina is a huge part of of you know predictions going forward. Is is if he's here, that affects massively next season. I think we probably, as everyone has, has seen in, in times, overperform this season given you know the, the quality of our squad and the depth. But there is the potential with the proper investment that we can kick on. I think my worry is. And I've started to feel quite passionately about this, and, and this will be a little mini one-minute vent from me. But the way the Premier League has gone now, with the money that Newcastle have now received, I worry that the top seven spots for Europe. I think that is becoming a closed shop. I think this season was a bit of a, an anomaly because you saw Spurs were dreadful and went through turmoil, and Chelsea likewise. But these are teams that, you know, in general will have their shit together most seasons. And when you add in the money of Newcastle, I worry that top, like that seventh spot, that UEFA Europa Conference League is becoming a closed shop. And so it's going to be really difficult every year now going forward. I think this was sort of probably our best chance this season would have been in, in getting Europe. Whereas you look at now going forward, Newcastle will finish top seven most years. Um, Brighton are, are obviously the the next best out of the, outside of that top seven. But I think it's it's fine. You know, consolidation is good. I, if will we finish tenth again next season, I think that's a good aim. But ultimately. If we consolidate and we find ourselves sat in that ninth to thirteenth to spot, it's a great space to be and also gives us that drive and that ability to go after cop competitions, which we've been screaming out for for so long. And we had it this season. You know, we smelt what it's like to have a good cup run. And I think that's another great thing to look forward to next season is if we can add depth and and reinforce this squad. Not only is the FA Cup something we can go after, but probably the League Cup too. You know, the, the League Cup is is a fun competition if we if we put our all into it and we crashed out disgustingly at the start of this season but it was fine because no one cared at that point we just wanted to stay up but had we known how our season would have gone maybe we would have wanted us to put a little bit more into that game against Crawley and start more of our first team players so I think that's you know it's obviously it's exciting will it be as good Maybe not, but I think that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. It's, it's being in the Premier League and enjoying the fun that comes around that and hopefully picking up a couple of top six scalps next season or let's say top seven scalps because that's the one thing we missed this season. If we can get a win, ideally away, I mean, that would be even better, but at Old Trafford, at the Etihad, you know, at Stamford Bridge, imagine like that, that would be, that was one thing that this season missed. It does beg the question, sort of what 
from the board, what are the aims of next season? Because and the you know the likes of uh, Tony and Shahid normally will come out and and be quite um, transparent with that. This year it was just to stay in the league. Will it be the same next year, or will they be wanting to progress and push on? And you know, will it be top half is what we're going for? Will it be Europe that we're going for? But I guess I guess the transfers that come in and out will be very telling as uh, as what this club wants to achieve next year. But I mean, it's been one hell of a year. It certainly has. One that, you know, we haven't seen since the likes of 2010, one would argue. So it's it's really been a, uh, a pleasure covering with Fulhamish uh, throughout this year. And, um, and yeah, we'll be back on Thursday um, with the Thursday Club when Sammy uh, will be looking over the year with a bit more of a kind of a magnifying glass, picking out some highlights. But all that's left to do on today's podcast is name the pod. So, Dan, what was your favourite three-word review to, to that we're going to go with? I think we keep it positive. We, we avoid, we, we, we forget the penalty problems. We forget the loss. And we'll go with Jot Whitcomb, Josh Whitcomb's no-mo yo-yo because I think that... That is the one thing that we can all revel in this season is that we are no longer going to be wrongfully labelled as a yo-yo club. We are Premier League, baby. <laughs> the end of the, oh, Fulham and Norwich just, just switched <laughs> over every year. Isn't that funny? That's a, that's a good observation that I've, I've not heard anyone else make before. But yeah, we can put that, we can put that behind us once and for all. Um, thank you very much for the rest of my panel. And thank you, Elizabeth Barnard, for joining us. Pleasure as always. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Harry Durham, happy birthday and thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Thanks, guys. And I'll buy you a pint in August. Can't wait to see you at the cottage. Yes. What, are you, what have you got planned for the rest of the day? Uh, mate, I'm just going to go for a walk. I've had my heavy weekend already. I just need some fresh air. Uh, back at work tomorrow, so I've got some bank holiday Sunday scaries and I'm a bit... <laughs> I'm a bit anxious. The worst. The worst. <laughs> and Dan, I'll see you next year. My good man. Thank you so much, Cubes. That was great fun. You right. See you next time.